0: Hello, Mustang fans, and welcome to another Ford Performance Edition of the Mustang Owners Podcast. I'm your host, John Klor. You know, from my years with Auto Week Magazine, the Ford Special Vehicle Team, Ford Racing, and now Ford Performance, I've always known that everyone has a Mustang story. So to that end, I hope you are reading my efforts to tell your story in the Enthusiast section of FordPerformance.com, as well as keeping up with the latest happenings in the Mustang hobby by checking out FordPerformanceClubConnect.com every week. My co-host is a Mustang hobby and industry insider who is perhaps best known as the longtime president of the Mustang Owners Club of Southeastern Michigan, or Moxum. One of the largest and most active Mustang clubs on the continent. Plus, who also heads up Boxum for you Bronco owners, as well as being the new leader behind the International Council of Mustang Clubs. Of course, I could only be talking about my great friend Mike
1: Ray, Mike, tonight another Ford superstar. How do we do it? Yeah, it's going to be awesome, man. It's going to give a little insight too of something we're planning for Mustang Memories 2024 with the 45-year anniversary of the Fox Body. So. With that, introduce our great guest tonight. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you're going to enjoy this one because
0: we certainly enjoy him. Uh, We're going to have retired Ford designer Bob Akins, who retired from Ford back, I think it was, jeez, about 2000. He was a chief designer for Ford trucks, but that's not what we're going to talk about too much because although I love Ford trucks and own several of them, we want to talk about Bob Akins' wonderful time with the Mustang. Bob, welcome to the Mustang Owners Podcast.
2: Thank you very much, John.
0: Are you kidding, Bob? As I told you before we got on, listen, when you came down to the Halderman barn with Bud McGaldy and the Moxham team uh, brought there, all their, their, those folks came down for a little picnic on a beautiful day. You, Your storytelling was so great. We wish we could stay there till dark. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, Karen Halderman wanted to clean up the place and go back home from across the from across her driveway from the museum. And you guys, uh, you and Bud McGaldy, what a great time. Uh, but I don't think a lot of people, Bob, know your background. Uh, whenever they look you up, they all oh, Ford truck designer. I know uh, from my time at SVT that you worked on the sport track, which was one of my favorite vehicles. In fact, Bob, my son owns a 94 Mustang SN95 and a, a Ford Explorer sport track adrenaline. Wow. <laughs> so he's got one, two of your favorite cars. Uh, but it was your Mustang stories that got us so happy to have you tonight. Um, and I, I can't tell you. um I don't know how you you did it, but when I whenever we talk to Mustang designers, they all say the same thing, Bob. It takes a team, it takes a team, but your Mustang stories
2: took some guy named Bob Akins. <laughs> well, to start with, I was very fortunate to start in the Mustang studio. This was October of nineteen sixty four and I had just turned twenty one, so going into the top studio and Mustang was only a matter of months old and they were selling everything they could build so it was a real pleasure to end up there as my first studio and we were working on the 67 and 68 Mustang a uh, very exciting time the Mustang the 67 had been pretty much finalized and we were doing the ornamentation and, and a few other the details and then we were putting side markers on it for sixty
0: eight. Yeah. Well, I know Gail Halderman told Mike and I, um, one of his biggest disappointments about the original car was not being able to have three separate taillights. And he had uh, complained to Leah Coca and and when he talked to Donald Fry they came back and said, uh, Gail, the Falcon has one bulb. So it wasn't <laughs> <laughs> so, so it wasn't and then gail told us about well you know they had that uh, if you, anybody has an original first gen mustang and they look at the taillight lens of course he did t- t- three silver painted rec- rectangles on that one one lens right but it wasn't until 67 when he was able to get the three lights into the car with that, that beautiful rear end but you bob i have to tell you and i don't know about you mike because i know you're a big fan of the 67 68s as well um but you bob created pro- the differentiator between my favorite between '67 and '68. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what that is and how you came to get that done?
2: Oh, you're talking about the the door or the uh, quarter panel. Of, I can't even think what to call them now, but they were the fins or the uh, yeah. intake. Yeah, they look yeah. like
0: strikes like a Ferrari yeah. strikes yeah. yeah, Like a vent, you know, Mike, it yeah. looked like a vent, even that's though, right. Bob, w- were those supposed to be vents and then they changed your right mind later because of the cost?
2: Well, that's one of the things that we learned very quickly as a new designer, the balance between cost and the ability to manufacture it. And we tried to balance it. But it was the first sketch that I think Gail Halderman picked. And I was super excited to get anything in production in those days, being a, a young kid. And it, it was modeled just as it appeared in production. So it was fake.
0: But no, no wait a minute. That's Bob. Now listen, yes, I'm going to, I'm going to, for all of you out there who know John Clore and Mike Ray, don't, don't step in just a while because <laughs> then they all say Clore's a second gen guy. And uh, I was beat up for so many years and, you can talk to Buck Mook or Dick Nesbitt or any of those guys, but hey, Clor, you like the Mustangs with the fake hood scoops and the fake scoops. And I'd say, I'll tell them, Bob, the same thing I'm going to tell you is that those scoops were not fake. They were real. Now, they weren't functional, but they were there. <laughs> you're right. They, they were actually there. Those aren't the scoops. They just didn't work as a scoop. That's all. So you're, I got to tell you, it, when it came down to picking between the 67 and 68, on the design of those cars, I know I know the, a lot of people don't like side marker lights and what that did to the, the fender look. And, but let's face it, Bob, those side strikes, those little ventings, they're as cool as anything that Mustang did except for maybe the only thing that rivals your scoop there was the hip scoop in the 69 that was taken out by Shinoda in the 1970 car. That's those right. two little scoops, that but neither of them were functional.
2: I love the hip scoop. I remember yeah, and that. That, that, thank, thank you yes.
0: Bob, because but <laughs> now are you telling me you drew that and Halderman said yes? That's and it went right into production the way you drew it?
2: Yes. Uh, my manager at the time was George Shoemaker. Mm-hmm. And I came to find out years later that George was the designer who contributed the sketch for the fastback. Wow. The sixty five and a half or yep. when the fastback was a, originally introduced right so i worked for george and george worked for gail gail was the executive designer and our director was joe orris but gail was the one who picked the sketch to be modeled
0: well we love it and you know but that's i never knew that about you and uh for those uh, listeners out there you know i know you may have your favorite the 68 yeah that was the bullet card but mike come on i mean when you look at the two that little piece of chrome sticking in there that i mean that's no i agree yeah i mean come on that that and then and then the same thing can be said with the 69 a lot of people like the 70 but i like those little scoops and just add that that car looks so great 69 Uh, is my favorite yeah i i gotta tell you bob what a great way to start mike when you were 21 did you still have your paper route (laughs) (laughs) yeah just about right (laughs) (laughs) bob akins is designing (laughs) <laughs> the side streaks on a '67 Mustang, and I'm I'm trying to count quarters from the lady down the street who didn't pay for a copy of the Detroit News. <laughs>
2: well, we also did design for wheel covers and any type of ornamentation that was still left to do on the uh, on the '67. And the big disappointment with the uh, side markers is our competitors were doing small, little petite things, and we ended up with these humongous. Ornaments stuck on, and again, <laughs> everything had to meet Ford standards, which is another term I learned from the engineers. It had to meet Ford standards.
0: <laughs> oh, gosh! Oh, that's yeah, don't so get terrible. me started. <laughs> okay, so, so, uh, that's just killer, it's wonderful stuff, but then you know, once you start designing things, and I, and I heard you mention to the team that uh one of jack Telnack's favorite lines when he worked on the 65 and i go you worked on the 65 because yeah i did the hubcap and he goes and since it was the most stolen hubcap in 1965 <laughs> it had to be the the best one in the in the entire universe because they stole more of those hubcaps caps than they did anything else now we tried to tell was it you mike that mentioned to jack the reason why they were stolen is because mustang was so popular uh, somebody said that yeah we were talking a little bit after the um
1: one of the the event we had uh, a couple of weeks ago at the yeah. appreciation that are talking about yeah. that,
0: yeah. Yeah, well, Jack Jack jokes about that. But you guys um, who, you know, started working on that first-gen car, boy, you came by it honestly, Bob. And that's because you understood that car and what it meant. And for you to be 21 and work on that, how cool was that? But how soon did they, Joe Oros, another great guy, how soon did they say, you know, even Gail Halderman worked on Ford trucks?
1: Oh, yeah.
2: Um, they would rotate the designers through the different studios. And when you started at Ford, you were on the training program. And every six months, they would rotate you through a different studio. You could go to interiors or advanced, special projects, Lincoln Mercury. So every six months, and it was a education. You met different staff, you learned different uh, sketch techniques, and you saw how Ford Motor Company as a whole worked with the design. It was very uh, educational.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, did you were you disappointed when you worked on other models? Well,
2: everything had a challenge, but it didn't have the same esprit as working on the Mustang. In other words, it was more fun to work on a car that you really desired to own. I mean, I worked on the Mark 3s and, and a few other projects,
0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the
1: app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
0: Well, Bob, that's another question a lot of our Mustang people. You know, Mike, I don't even want to guess how many Maxim owners own F-Series and tow their store or their collector car with an F-Series pickup. there has got to be the majority, I would say. Yeah, I... <laughs> Yeah, they, so, so, I mean, but there was a time, Bob, when at Ford, the, the F-Series was more of a, I don't, know, I don't say this to offend anybody, it was more of a farm implement, and it wasn't until uh, in the late 50s, I think, or even in the early 60s, where some big designs started coming into truck, and trucks were, uh, the, the seating was nicer, the interiors were Absolutely. nicer. And then by yeah. the time you got in there, I mean, people were using trucks as their go-to-church uh, vehicle.
2: Yeah, and the uh, the truck that really changed it from a design standpoint was the codename PN96, which yes. was the F-150 that came out in 1996. It took on a whole softer look, more personal use. And that changed a lot of people thinking about how trucks were used. Because at that time, the, anybody in the neighborhood that needed a little extra hauling ability was buying pickup trucks. Yeah. And most of them were Ford.
0: 47 years later that's still true. Well <laughs> uh, yes. they, they were boxy and but I, I do recall a little bit of pushback when the uh PN 96 pickup came up was so smooth and rounded. I know we did the uh the lightning pickup yep. Mike Mike Ray had a first gen the square the square truck and we when we came out with that real smooth rounded there were some people that I guess it
2: had to grow on you, Bob. It did. And one of the things we had to overcome with its appearance was the fact that uh, some people per- perceived it to be smaller and dimensionally it was identical. It's just hmm. the shape and um, the softness of it. But overall, I think people accepted it and obviously the sales reflected the fact that they did accept it. Oh,
0: for sure. And, um, and you also then had to work, I mean, know, sooner or later, trucks went the way of uh, minivans with getting, adding the doors. And now, Mike, do you guys still sell many standard cab trucks at all? Or is everything a super crew?
1: No, all the standard ones are all performance-issued ones. You know what I mean? So um, th- that's the only reason people are doing it now. Just for every regular day driving, no, it's all performance. Uh, um, You know, it's geared toward performance.
0: Yeah, so super crews were... The kind of change from you know that now it's a, it's a family vehicle oh, yeah. sure. those, those early super crews uh especially on the p96 bob i'm going to tell you i still have a 01 super crew 46 v8 uh with 258 thousand miles on it wow and it's uh white with black it's still a pretty truck that i've never had the motor out of it uh, it's got the original transmission um uh, it's just been amazing and you know, it, that's the kind of, you know, loyalty you get when you have a truck that serves you well. But I know, so, you know, sooner or later, you'd have to gravitate back to, to Mustang. And then uh, how did you get involved with, the, with that Fox Body program?
2: Well, the first time I was asked by Jack Telneck, and I was in the studio doing the um, Escort and uh, Tempo Topaz. And Jack volunteered me to To join the SVT, Special Vehicle, SVO, Special Vehicle Organization, to do a Fox-based Mustang. And uh, Michael Kranifis was head of it, and he had brought a whole group from Europe, and they wanted to turn the uh, Mustang into something super special, and they kept referring it to as a BMW fighter.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you, you then went from being on a wonderful design team to – uh, talk about SVO. If you, anybody out there thinks that SVT was a thin group with you know, 35, 40 guys, SVO was a skeleton crew, And so Bob Akins was uh, brought in to, to do this SVO Mustang. And Bob, I heard that you had like five guys. You had Bob Akins, and then you had Bob Akins, and then Bob Akins with Bob Akins to sit down with Bob Akins to come up with an SVO Mustang design.
2: Yeah. Um, it was strange because there was a separate Mustang design group, both interior and exterior, And uh, Jack had asked me to do both, interior and exterior. For years, I I couldn't figure out whether this was, did he think I was unique? And I found out later that SVO didn't have a big budget. Maybe I was the only guy they could afford. (laughs) Well,
0: You made the car that made Mike Ray fall in love with Mustang. Mike,
1: (laughs) was it the look? (laughs) Mike, it had to be. Mike, it wasn't the turbo. It was the look of it, wasn't it? It was cool. It was different. It was rare. Um, That was the reason I liked it. Well, there was only, what, a total over a little over 3,000 made over the three-year stretch. So it's, um, yeah, that was definitely, I loved that car, but never really went to car shows, John. It was just more of a cruiser. And I had that car for almost 13 years. But then when I seen the 05, that's when I had to, uh, I sold it and put my order in for the 05. But it was a very, very special car. Bob you had no budget but you any
0: enthusiast if they look at that fox and they could tell that was an SVO so you had to make it distinctive but you couldn't spend a whole lot of money
2: Exactly I mean the the, the front end was unique but the um the rear oh god bumper, more than that the, the rear panel, is the, the spoiler spoiler or everything and the rear spo- the, the spoiler the double deck spoiler Yep. Uh, it came from the guys in Europe. That I think they had put it on one of their uh, Ford Sierros or whatever they called it at the time. And they brought that back and, and, and they were adamant. They wanted to do it on the Mustang. And originally, I had proposed that the bottom portion of that spoiler was going to be body color. And just the top spoiler and the, the, the upper edge of the lower one was black. But they had to make it out of, I think, polycarbonate, and it couldn't be painted body color at
1: that time. Oh, so I do see people painting them nowadays. Um, well, that's what great. About the because, panels, Bob. That that's great, and and we got a chance to do
2: a few other unique items, and part of it was that we tried to differentiate it from the uh, the regular Mustang GT. But as an example, the NASA hood scoop. Um, was always going to be off center because that's where the intercooler was, and originally it was going to be flush with the hood surface. But it didn't get enough air, so we had to raise the surface for uh, to meet the uh, air intake. Son of a gun! You made a functional hood scoop. I I tried my <laughs> best, John. I mean, <laughs> and the the fun part of it was that I got to ride and drive it on the Ford test track in Dearborn. Um, the guys let me play with it. Oh. So I, I got to enjoy the uh, the engine development. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that was something. And I remember uh, when we when were talking about, well, we were testing the EcoBoost, and somebody said, oh, I heard a rumor they're going to put a turbo four-cylinder back in the Mustang. That'll never happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mike, you don't sell any EcoBoost Mustangs, do you? <laughs> i literally had a
1: customer for one today it's too funny but well, mine uh, bob i had an 86 jalapeno red was my svo nice yeah. very nice and to this day mike still eats
0: jalapenos <laughs> yes. although they're green they're more green than they are red
2: that's uh, a whole yeah.
1: other podcast <laughs>
2: the so, mustang in the studio was always shown whether it was paint or dynok silver. So when I saw them in final production colors like red, I was very excited because I never saw it in the studio in anything other than silver. Wow. So and Bob,
0: did you have to uh, and did the wheel design, all sit in on all those meetings, all the little intricacies of an SVO Mustang? I had to go through. Was it a committee at SVO
2: or did Jack come in and um, how did that work? Well, most of the meetings with Cranifus and everybody, and and by the way, Jackie Stewart was in most of those meetings. He was a consultant with Ford at the time, and he had added a lot of uh, input. And the guy was a a riot to listen to talk. I mean, oh yeah, yeah. come on, Mike, you can do it. That's right. It's a fine, fine
0: day for a motor race. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, we can do the Jackie Stewart. Come on. I'm sure there are people out there listening to the podcast that have a Jackie Stewart him, but no, Look, I, he, he. I mean, let's face it, he was a big name racer of the time. Yeah, name recognition and putting him in the advertisements uh, for the car, Mike. What was your? Uh, was the car that sells itself or something like that? And it turned out it didn't. Um, mm-hmm. you know, All right.
1: marketing does help. But let me ask you this, Bob: Was Shadow Blue was that the rarest color out of them? Do you know,
2: Mike? I have no idea. You got to remember. When that vehicle reached the dealers, I had moved to other projects, and they never really communicated with me how the the car was doing. And you got to remember, SVO alienated so many people in the Ford hierarchy that they had a difficult time getting it through body engineering, uh, the assembly plant, because there were unique things that had to be done to fit the bigger tires, so on and so forth. And they, they they didn't make friends easily. Huh. Yeah.
0: No, that's, and it's followed, you know, we try to correct all that with SVT, Bob. And we had the same challenges. We just had John Coletti on our podcast and uh, the, the stories of him trying to overcome. Even after you thinking we learned a lot from the SVO experience, it was no different. When you're a niche group inside of a very large company and you don't follow their rules, that they don't so much like you anymore.
2: That's exactly right.
0: <laughs> well, so so that that all happened, but about ten years later, you're you're still dinking with really unique one-off Mustangs because we did a Mustang. Uh, we had a PPG race series, and um, in '84, they wanted to do for the series a, a pace car.
2: Yes, that was that was a tremendous experience, and once again, I had the chance to to do it all and. It's very very rare that an individual designer ever works on one project. And PPG had a budget, and uh, I had some. Uh, and again, I think Gail Haldeman was our studio director/exec. He let me pretty much do it, and it was it was fun, and it was a unique looking Mustang. And um, a company called Synthetex mm. did the fiberglass body, and Jack Roush, his company. Did the uh, dynamics and the engine and, and the chassis. And Bob Negstead developed the a- actual running gear and everything for Ford and made it a pace car.
0: Now, you said something at the uh, Moxham meet over at the Halderman Barn that really struck me. And I, I'd known Gail for about 10 years. I never, never heard the story that you said that he told you not to draw things that would please him so that you get him past. He told you something totally different.
2: Well, the idea at the time was you it, being a designer was very competitive. And you you tried to get your designs accepted into production. And therefore, a lot of designers, they tried to appeal to the guys making those decisions. <laughs> and Gail said, why don't you design what you want? Don't worry about what I want and and, and see what happens. And wow. usually, if you did something you really liked, it it was picked. Wow, uh,
0: that's that's empowerment. Um, that that's got that's kind of wonderful to work for a guy that understands that. Yes, yes. And then and then you you developed a pretty close relationship with those other Mustang guys. I know you and Bud McGaldy still hang. But um, the other question I had for you is how, when, and how did. All this design work at Ford, even up through the '80s. um, How did that get you, or when did the aviation uh, appreciation come? Because a lot of people, when they Google your name, the first thing they see is aviation artist and photographer. Or I mean, it's just like you and (laughs) you and art art paintings with planes go together, Bob. And and we've seen some of them. And Mike, you have to
2: admit they're stunning. Oh, absolutely! Thank you very much. I had a uh, unique childhood where I grew up in our nation's capital, and at that time, building model airplanes was a uh, was a wonderful thing for little boys to be into, mm-hmm. and I built a lot of them, won up a lot of wards, met some wonderful people, and I, all through high school, wanted to be an aeronautical engineer and design airplanes, wow. and somehow... I got involved with something called the Fisher Body Craftsman's Guild, sponsored by General Motors, and got hooked into designing cars. And that was the end of the story. <laughs> Until 35 years later, I retired and went back to my love of aviation. And now I'm 100% airplanes.
1: Wow. Well,
0: Mike, you have to admit, when you see something with Bob's name on it and you look at that, it's, Bobby, you're just you're an extreme talent when it comes to those photos, and Thank your you. original is that those are oil paintings or is that water?
2: No, it's it's oil paintings.
0: Oh my God, they're beautiful. Uh, I this I mean he, anybody that likes the mustangs is going to like airplanes. It's uh and I know Mike's seen the movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles thirty times.
1: <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey John, I just did a little uh, googling here, and the rarest color from SBO was the dark sage green which only 49 of them were painted in that color. And my total production number of my year for 86 was 3382. Wow. That's Yeah, yeah but,
0: you know, Mike, the SVOs are harder and harder to come by now. And with the resurgence of the Fox body, um, you know, Bob, you can say what you want about those 15 years of Fox body Mustangs. But when they come to that one card that said, what was the exclamation point? Uh, some say, oh, it was the Indy Pace car, but most will say the SVO Mustang that you designed, Mr. Aikens, was the, was the high point, uh, even though I, I was there the last year for the 93 SVT Mustang Cobra. <laughs> I'm kind <laughs> of
2: funny. And <laughs> I'm you're kind darn of fun. proud of it. <laughs> <Yeah>, Janine <laughs> Bay,
0: Bay had something. I think um, I might have been Doug Gafka uh, at that point, uh, or Daryl Beamer, who had worked Both on Both of them. Yeah, yeah. So, and we've had we've had both of those guys on our on our podcast. So, Bob, uh, we, we can't tell you how uh, pleased we are to be able to know that you can get out there, even though you're so busy painting airplanes, that you can get out there and hang out with the Mustang crowd, and tell us these wonderful stories. You know, I, I thought I knew a lot about Gale and about the early gen Mustangs, but hear you guys tell your stories, uh, I had no idea that that little. That little vent on the sixty-seven was yours, and <laughs> and, and to know that Gail empowered people, I, I I knew he was that kind of guy, but to hear you say it, Bob, uh, kind of under, that made me understand why he lasted forty years at Ford Design.
2: Well, Gail Gail taught us a lot, and uh, to know him was was a wonderful experience, and I really enjoy going back to his museum and see how well his daughter is running it for him. He would be very proud of her.
0: I, I think so. <laughs> and very proud that Moxham's
1: been down there. Mike, have you been there a decade now? Well, every year since 2013, but a couple years we went twice. So um, I think we've made maybe a dozen uh, dozen trips. And, and you ask the same question, Mike, when you get
0: volunteers to go down to the Halderman barn. And because you never know what Ford designer might show
1: up and give a speech there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's hard to keep them quiet once you (laughs) start. We always have some heroes with us that take the trip
2: with
0: us. So, Bob, you made, you definitely made the trip down there this year. And and Mike, you have to agree. Uh, It's just what, how many people raised their hands when they said, you know, I've never been there. I want to go. And yet. Yeah. It's always more than half, isn't it? Yeah, and yet yet we're uh, we're always surprised and when we come back saying, you know, Karen does a great job mixing the cars and all new stuff. And yep. the only bad thing I can say, Bob, is that when that museum first started and uh, Gail was involved with uh, putting things up there, a lot of the content on the walls was John Clore writing about Gail Halderman. Well, when I went back after a couple of years, I'd say, hey, where's all my stuff? She said, well, that's a couple of years old. <laughs> I go, so's a 65 Mustang.
2: Yeah. Mean, on. <laughs> Wait a
0: minute. <laughs> so your live, Bobby, your your work lives on, Bob Akins, but John Clores does not. But <laughs> well, I have to thank you for uh taking time out of My and pleasure. I'm sure some of your paint is drying now and you gotta clean the brush.
2: Well I'm I'm trying to keep at least three or four paintings going at at once. While one dries, I'll work on another. Oh wow.
0: Mike, we are blessed to know Bob Akins and have him come down and interact. We got to have him at a at a meeting soon as well. Yes, absolutely. And Mike, um, you might mention to Bob that we are planning some special things. Um, not just because Mustang's turning 60. Come on. But but also as the Fox and the SVO all reach these wonderful anniversaries we got to keep track of where Bob is and tell him to put down his paintbrush for a few minutes and come talk to us about,
2: the, about these
0: cars that we like. So, Bob, can Mike count on you?
2: Sure. As a matter of fact, Mike, let me tell the club about going over 300 miles an hour in a Mustang. That's always fun. Oh, absolutely. Oh, wait a minute. P51? Well, of course. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, I thought... I thought you were talking about Mike driving down I-696.
2: Oh. Well, that was a little under 300.
1: <laughs> we we got some more stories we can share than Bob, because I don't know if you know, but I worked for Jack Roush for five years. That's... Oh, boy. Mr. Mustang. <laughs> yeah. The T-51 man. Yeah, yeah sir. Yeah.
0: You know, and that's, uh, that brings up another story, which we will tackle here on the Mustang Owners Podcast about people claiming that, you know, uh, John Najar. Named a Mustang after a fighter plane, of course. We know that is not true. Nope. Uh, although everyone loves everyone loves to have their Mustang uh pulled in front of a real P, P- fifty one fighter plane and have a picture taken because there's just something magical oh, about sure. a Mustang and a Mustang. Yeah.
1: I do think the majority of the people out there still do believe that though, John, that it was named after a plane, which indeed you know we mean you have no and verified that it, well, it was Jim, left.
0: Jim Smart uh wrote a nice piece. We're gonna put it on Ford Performance for the winter. And we, and I know he's been on the podcast as well, but he's heavily researched this. And you know, Gail Gail will tease people. He said it's always been ever since the Mustang one concept car. Uh, he said it's always been a horse. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, Bob, I can't wait to see more of your paintings and to talk with you more again uh, from from Moxum and Mike Gray's whole group of wonderful Mustang owners and from everybody out there in any club in the United States. We want to thank you for your contribution to the Mustang and and for what you've done, making our cars more beautiful.
2: Thank you. And um, my pleasure. Thank you very much, John.
0: Well, that was fun, Mike. It was always great uh, talking to our Mustang heroes. We're going to have to loop back with Bob again very shortly. I know once you make those plans for uh, some kind of Fox get together, Bob's going to have to be there. Maybe he can uh, paint a tiny little picture of a P-51 and, raffle it off or something <laughs> there you go bob i'm busy okay we'll keep him out In of trouble. Uh, that's right so ladies and gentlemen we hope you enjoyed this edition of the mustang owners podcast so until next time we're just going to have to catch you down the road